Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Initially inspired by his own struggles with conflict, consultant and USU lecturer Clark Hanfield is committed to changing the way people think and feel about conflict. He says conflict holds up a mirror to our deepest needs and most cherished hopes, and it's the doorway of our opportunity for creating the change we want in our lives. He also says it's common to feel trapped and stuck when we experience conflict, but there is a way out. His recent TEDx USU talk is titled The Beauty of Conflict. By the way, the uh, talks are just now available on the website, which is tedx.usu.edu. A lot of uh, great talks there. Claire Canfield is a consultant and lecturer in the Department of Languages, Philosophy, and Communication Studies at Utah State University with degrees in Communication Studies and a graduate certification in Alternative Dispute Resolution. He joins us uh, in studio. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I, I want, soon here I want to hear a clip from the, from the talk. There are a couple of uh, clips um, dealing with two of your daughters. Um, but, but conflict, um, I'm one, probably representative of many. I Still to this day, I've gotten a little better with it, but over my life I just want to flee from conflict. Don't like it, want to avoid it. Yeah, that's incredibly common. You would not be alone. I've, I've talked to thousands of people about the way they think and feel about conflict, and primarily they see it pretty negatively as an experience that is difficult for them that they want to oftentimes avoid. Uh, often ugly feelings come up, right? Yes. Uh, uh, ugly emotions, uh, you know, relationships can be ruptured uh, with conflict. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that conflict has the opportunity not o- only, as I talk about it, to create positive change for us, it has the opportunity to damage our relationships mm-hmm. and and cause us hurt and harm and pain. So I guess we we, we need to uh, learn how to how to handle conflict better. That's what we're going to do as we go through the hour. That's what you've studied. Um, I want to go back in your life. Uh, you you I think have said in your talks that you were a conflict avoider for. Yeah, not just an avoider. I think I was. I was the champion avoider. I mean, if there was a, a championship belt, I was wearing it. Mm. I, <laughs> I had learned to avoid conflict from a pretty early age. Um, my, my dad grew up in a pretty difficult situation. Um, he had an alcoholic father that left when he, that caused a lot of violence um, and difficulties in the kind of conflicts they had in the home. And his mother actually left when he was four and took his only sister and left his four brothers and he behind with an alcoholic father. They were put into foster care for a while and he didn't bring them back into the home until he remarried. And he remarried a fellow alcoholic who brought in four sons of her own and he describes them trying to get along like trying to mix oil and water. Hmm. They fought pretty constantly. He remembers lining up in the front yard, throwing rocks at each other. Um, playing a game called Bumble Peg, where <laughs> where they would stand with their feet spread apart, and then they'd throw a knife in between their feet. And if it stuck in the ground, you had to bring your feet closer together. Mm. So my dad carried scars from that, literal and figuratively, into his marriage and his own family. And so growing up, he was really aversive to having conflict around. So when I would get in arguments with my siblings, and I've got a lot of siblings. I've got five sisters and two brothers. And I was kind of in the middle of it, not just by age, 
but I instigated a lot of conflict with my older brother and my younger sisters. And he would be so uncomfortable with that, he'd put a stop to it immediately. He'd say, stop fighting, hug, kiss, make up. And then I'd usually get punished. I'd be sent out into the garden, and I'd have to pick up a bucket full of rocks. Mm. And he loved a garden. It was more like small-scale farming. So there was no end um, or a shortage of rocks for me to pick up. And I would have to pick up a bucket full and dump it over the fence. And I had a pile of rocks that just kept growing faster than I did. And it taught me to think that conflict was negative. Nothing good could come from it. It just ends up punishing you, hurting your relationships. So I learned to avoid it. Hmm. Uh, so t- tell me how you uh, avoided. I- I'm sure. I'm sure your stories match up with my stories. It's it's you. You learn over time that it's not necessarily healthy. Yes. But but if conflict equals pain and bad and you know and and failed relationships, then then you seek to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense why hmm. I would do that. And so over time, I had a number of strategies to avoid conflict. Sometimes I would pretend the conflict wasn't there. Even though I knew it was there, the other person knew it was there, the proverbial elephant in the room, but yet I wouldn't talk about it. Sometimes I would pretend like it wasn't a problem at all. In my own mind, I would try and say it's not that big a deal, get over it, and again, I would avoid it. Sometimes I would avoid the person completely. So I had a number of strategies. And again, it makes sense why I would do that if I thought it was going to damage the relationship, the conflict was bad. But the avoidance is what Mm. kept hurting the relationships. Mm. Conflict's normal. It's always going to come up. And if you don't address it and deal with it, it creates its own problem. Mm. So bad conflict uh, you know, can damage relationships, but <clears throat> avoiding conflict can, can make it so it's not a real relationship. If you're not dealing with real things, then the relationship can't grow, right? Yeah. I mean, all of us have probably seen a couple that we thought, oh, that's the ideal couple. They never fight. And then we're surprised when the relationship ends. It doesn't surprise me anymore when relationships end like that, because to avoid our issues is to keep our issues Mm -hmm. and they multiply they stick around they don't go anywhere yeah a lot of times it is scars from from early on right i'm curious Mm -hmm. about your your dad did he was he able to grow with 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 that or did he always avoid conflict yeah because of his early i admire my dad a lot because with with most family patterns they have a tendency to continue and so you know the the family pattern that he learned from was that conflict is violence and that it was taken out in that way. And he didn't continue doing that. Um, You know, he avoided it, but I think to a large degree, that was his best efforts to try and change some of those patterns. And it had its own problems, of course. And, (laughs) but I think he broke some of that cycle. Mm Let's hear a clip now from uh, from uh, Claire Canfield's TEDxUSU uh, talk. TEDxUSU is put on by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies, also sponsored by the Kane College of the Arts and uh, Utah State University. Happened in October. These talks, the the, the general theme this year was lift. Yes. Um, and so Claire Canfield is with us for the hour. He's a consultant and he is a USU lecturer. Teaches a class every semester in conflict. Yes, resolution my favorite class. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm going to ask you what your students' reaction is as, <laughs> as we go along. Um, but let's hear this. We have a couple of stories. This one is early on in the talk, and uh, this is, I think, your youngest daughter. Yes, she's I think four years. She old. was four at the time. Yes. Yeah. So let's uh, let's hear the story. Well, a couple of years ago, um, I asked my four-year-old daughter to put away a couple of hair pretties that she had gotten out. You know, hair pretties like little bows and rubber bands, stuff you put in your hair to make it pretty. So she took them, but she chucked them on the floor of the bathroom. And I said, you, you can't just put them there on the floor. You need to pick them up and put them in the tray with the rest of the hair pretties. She said, I don't want to put them in the tray. Why should I? I don't want to do it. And I said, you got them out. You have to put them away. She said, I don't want to. You started throwing a fit. So she's laying on the floor. So I get down on the floor next to her, and I put the little hair pretties right next to her hand, and I bring the tray over, and I'm just like, you just put them in the tray. Okay? She said, I don't want to, and flips the tray. 20 more hair pretties go flying over the floor. So I'm like, lying in the sand. You're not coming out of this bathroom until you pick up all the hair pretties. So she tries to rush past me. I block the door with my gigantic body, and she's flailing at me with her tiny little fists. And then 20 minutes later, I'm at the door trying to explain to my neighbor, who has brought a plate of cookies to welcome us to the neighborhood, why my daughter is screaming, trying to climb over a mattress that I've used to block the bathroom door. Now, that may be entertaining for you, but at the time, for me, not so much. Like, I was stuck. That was not working very well for me. So that you, you can just see it, your, your gigantic body in comparison to her, and, and, you, and it escalates to a mattress. <laughs> yes. And I, I think a lot of us have been there. It's, you're, you're not alone <laughs> in, in, in that. And then the neighbor comes over. Um, so this illustrates the, uh, you know, the fact that we, it can get to a comical level, but it's also, you know, it, it can, it can be very distressing too. Yeah. And at the time, you know, the, the central part of that story is that the entire time, how I was feeling and how I was behaving, even though I can look back at it now and it was, it, it raised to the level of the ridiculous. <laughs> and sometimes our conflicts do that. But the entire time I had a feeling of justification. I felt like that what I was doing was justified, that I was blameless, right? That, you know, me telling her, you have to pick these up, and then getting to the point of blocking the bathroom door, I thought, well, she's the one that created all this problem. If she had done this, if she had done that. And if, if you think about your conflicts, how frequently do we think that the problem is because of everything that the other person has done? right? How they have responded to us, their behavior. And so it creates this feeling of justification that makes us believe that whatever we choose to do and however we feel, we're kind of blameless. Mm -hmm. And that then puts the power for change out of our own hands and says the only way this situation gets better is if the other person changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really resonates with me. It, it, it be, the most important thing becomes I, I'm right, right? Exactly. And you're, and you're wrong. And if, if that's the most important thing, then <laughs> we can't make And progress. it's a trap. And yeah. it's seductive. Mm -hmm. I always want to go there in my conflicts because it makes me feel, again, this isn't my problem. It's not my fault mm -hmm. if someone else would do things differently and change. Mm -hmm. But it's so unsatisfying in the long run. In the moment, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm right. I, mm -hmm. This feels good to believe that. And we'll walk away from the conflict, 
even though we're disappointed, we didn't get the outcome we wanted, escalation, emotions are high, slam doors, we still walk away feeling right. Mm -hmm. But it's in the long term unsatisfying. By the way, was there a a resolution to that particular incident with your (laughs) four-year-old? Um... No, <laughs> I don't always get it right. Yeah, yeah. I have to work on this stuff really hard too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I I've been there. You know, you put the hair pretties right next to yeah. your hand. All it's you have to do away. is twitch your finger. <laughs> All you do have to do is twitch your finger, and of course she's stubborn. She's dug in too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and it reveals it one of the common problems of conflict, which is we're we're con- we're often trying to get the other person to do what it is we want them to do, and. I can't control other people, not even my four-year-old daughter. Yeah. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to uh, move forward to your college years. And uh, you have a great story, I know, because I, I went to a talk with uh, that you gave to uh, incoming USU freshmen about you and your roommates and dishes. Yes. And I, I think everyone probably has a story with roommates and dishes. <laughs> um, and this story... Drop a name here included. Your, one of your roommates was Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. He wasn't yes. Lieutenant Governor at the time. This was young Spencer Cox. Yes, it was. So let's we'll hear that story and much more. We'll get into um, how to resolve conflicts in a good way. We're talking with Claire Canfield. His TEDx USU talk, which he gave recently, is titled "The Beauty of Conflict," um, and uh, those talks are out now uh, at tedx.usu.edu. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement, online at utahhumanities.org. Holiday programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you by our members and Dr. Scott Dixon, practicing allergy and immunology with the team of physicians at the Budge Clinic, 1340 North, 500 East in Logan, Intermountain Clinics, Wishing UPR listeners a safe and happy holiday season. Information at 435-716-1820. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, my guest for the hour, is Claire Canfield. He's a consultant and a USU lecturer, and he teaches a class in conflict resolution uh, every semester at USU. Uh, initially inspired by his own struggles with conflict, uh, he is committed to changing the way people think and feel about conflict. He says conflict holds up a mirror to our deepest needs and most cherished hopes, and it is the doorway of opportunity for creating the change we want in our lives. His uh, recent TEDx USU talk is titled The Beauty of Conflict. These uh, TEDx USU events are put on by the uh, USU Office of Research and Graduate Studies, also sponsored by Kane College of the Arts and Utah State University. And a lot of good talks are available at tedx.usu.edu. They just were put up, uh, I think, a couple of days ago. So this, yes. is, this is recent. People can go watch those. Um, so I'm sure when you get in front of groups, in front of students, and you say something like the beauty of conflict or that conflict holds up the, uh, you know, it, it could be the doorway of opportunity creating the change we want in our lives, I'm guessing you get skepticism because a lot of people e- equate conflict with bad, with, with hurt feelings, with whatever. Yes, that would be very safe to say. <laughs> Um, so I, I, we're, uh, I guess one of your missions here is to change people's minds. Yeah, I think that's particularly important because 
I think as long as you view conflict as problematic, as something that is bad for relationships, for yourself, you're going to approach it a particular way. And it limits the ways that you can do conflict or think about it. I mean, it it makes me think a little bit about when I was growing up, um, we lived on kind of a small farm down in San Pete County, and we always had chickens. And it was my job every morning to go out and feed and water the chickens, which I didn't mind so much. But the worst job was every summer I had to muck out the chicken coop, a year's worth of chicken stuff that I would need to get up off the floor and go put in our garden. And, you know, I dreaded it. And so it wouldn't matter how many tools you gave me to do the job or ways to do it differently. I hated doing it. And the same thing applies to conflict. If we hate conflict, if we see it as so negative and, and difficult and painful for us, no number of tools or communication ideas is going to help us do it any better. We have to first change the way we think and feel about it. So uh, tell me about um, Snow College. I think this happened at Snow College. Roommates and dishes. First, um, you had a what became a star-studded group of roommates there, <laughs> including Spencer Cox, who's now the lieutenant governor. I did. I had some fantastic roommates. And they were all very close friends of mine. Mm. But that didn't keep us from having conflicts. Yeah. And I think dishes is one that most people can relate to, <laughs> both as college students and in other times of our life. And we all lived locally, and we brought all of our own dishes when we came to Snow College. So we had a lot of dishes, so many that you didn't ever have to wash them throughout the week. You could just get another plate. <laughs> you'd had lunch, you'd mm-hmm. stick it in the sink, and then you'd go get another plate for the next meal. And by the end of the week, right around Friday, we're running out of dishes, and people are eating cereal out of mixing bowls and drinking tang out of mason jars and And so it's getting a little ridiculous, but we still had dishes. Then on the weekends, they would frequently go home. But I was dating my my future spouse, and I didn't want to go home. I wanted to stick around and spend time with her. But she wasn't going to want to come over to my apartment that smelled of fermenting milk and all the dirty dishes in the kitchen. And so I would have to do all of the dishes every week, and I started to resent it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, which is a, a natural reaction. <laughs> so what did you do? Well, um, at first I kind of avoided talking about it at all because that was how I dealt with conflict. And then eventually I created the chore wheel. I, I told him <laughs> this wasn't fair. And so we created a chore wheel. There was a kitchen boy, bathroom boy, living room boy, and garbage boy. And your job was you had to do that chore before midnight of Sunday every week. But it didn't really fix the problem because it was never about the dishes. I mean, there was still kind of some resentment there, and they would be a little passive aggressive and wait until 11.59 to take out the four bags of garbage that were spilling over the floor. And it didn't really fix the problem because it was never about dishes Mm. in the first place. It was about me wanting to feel respected and that they valued the relationship the same way. It was about the time that I wanted to spend with my girlfriend. Mm. We were talking about dishes, and that was what our conflict surrounded, but it was never about that. That's a key principle, isn't it? You, you talk about the iceberg principle. It's, it's, uh, it's often, or most times, it's, it's about something else. Yeah. Um, you know, icebergs, I think, are 
really fascinating and it helps me understand conflict differently because you see just a small, small portion of, a, of an iceberg above the water. I had a colleague who recently went on a cruise up to Alaska and there was this beautiful glacier that they wanted to take pictures of, but the the captain of the cruise ship wouldn't go any closer. Mm. He said, oh, there's danger because of icebergs. And all they could see is a couple tiny little pieces of ice floating mm. out in the water. But what's underneath is so substantial, it can, it can sink ships. Mm-hmm. And what's underneath our relationships can sink our relationships if we're not paying attention to what really matters. So did you did you ever uh, have a deeper conversation with your roommates? I mean, you, you, not at you finally recognized this wasn't about the dishes so much as it mm-hmm. was about your girlfriend wanting to spend time with her, yeah. about respect, right? Yeah, I never did. I mean, this has mm-hmm. been a long journey for me to get to a point where I can start to see conflict differently. At the time, I never had that conversation, and mm-hmm. many of us don't. We we keep our conflicts on the surface, talking about dishes and which way to put the toilet paper roll on and all of the day-to-day details that we have conflict over, but what matters is underneath our identity, our feelings of competence, mm-hmm. our relationships. Yeah. That's the stuff that matters. You've hit upon a very important issue, the toilet roll. Are, are yeah. you an over-the-top or under-the-bottom <laughs> guy? Honestly, but, I can't ever yeah. remember. I know there's a right way to do it, <laughs> but I always forget. I'm a very strict <laughs> over-the-top guy, and it, it, it does bother me if uh, you know if my wife puts it in the other way, although she puts it in usually. Yeah, that, and that what's way. interesting is what bothers you about that? Mm. I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess I want it my way, right? I don't know. That's what conflict can be about, right? Mm-hmm. We, yeah. On the surface, it's like, I want it this way, but what is it about that that bothers us? And the more we dig and look beneath the surface, the more we start to understand what our conflicts are really about. So even though people often think we're fighting over something silly, the toilet paper roll, the dishes, you know, and how often have you afterwards thought, oh, that was such a silly conflict over something so insignificant. Mm -hmm. But really, it's not. What's underneath really matters. Mm -hmm. It just surfaces because of those little things. I want to get into how do we get to that, because that's Mm -hmm. important, right? Mm -hmm. And just recognizing that it's probably in the iceberg under the water. It's not the little tip that we're we're really fighting about. so, so I want to go to a, the, the second clip we have from your TEDx USU uh, talk, which is about this. You, mm-hmm. you, 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 you're surprised by what it ends up being about. By the way, uh, as we as we go to that, uh, I guess I'll forever now associate L- Lieutenant Governor with the chore wheel. So, <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> so, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's go to this. This is from uh, Clark Canfield's recent TEDx USU talk which is titled The Beauty of Conflict. When my oldest daughter turned six and started the first grade, there started to be a lot of interactions with her sisters that ended with tears and yelling. She started to be kind of harsh. I mean, she'd always liked to be in charge, but she was kind of bossing her sisters around a lot. So I tried to put a stop to it. I lectured her on kindness, and nothing changed. I yelled at her. Nothing changed. I gave consequences and punishments, and it continued for weeks on nearly a daily basis. And I felt stuck. I didn't know what to do, and it was frustrating. Until one evening, I started practicing vocab and creating a conversation for change. As I was tucking her into bed, 
I kneeled down next to her, and I called her name softly, and I said, I don't know how to be the dad of a six-year-old. I've never done this before, but I've been worried and sad. I don't know what's been going on between us and between your sisters, and I hate that I've yelled at you. I have to own that. I don't want that. What I want is for us to be able to talk with each other, even when it's hard. I want us to have a good relationship, and I want to understand what's happening for you. Can you help me understand? And she said, I don't know, and crawled under the covers. So I worked on keeping my heart open. I laid next to her. I tried to breathe in and let go of my desire to have her respond. And then I had the air ripped out of me when I heard her say, Dad, have you, have you ever been bullied? And for weeks, she'd been dealing with a bully at school and hadn't known what to do about it, how to talk about it. I asked her how she was feeling. I told her about how I was bullied when I was a kid. We discussed how she could set boundaries with kids at school. We talked about how do we want to communicate in the future? How do we deal with these hard emotions when they come? And that conversation changed me. So that's, uh, that's pretty impactful. And, you know, as you watch the video, you're tearing up as you say that. It's very important for you. Your heart goes out to your daughter, of course. Yeah. I was tearing up as I was uh, watching this. Uh, important experience for you, you know, let alone your daughter. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to even think about without feeling a lot of strong emotions. And it, it was a key moment for me because, I mean, to go off of what we were talking about, it was not about the way she was talking with her sisters. Mm-hmm. The conflict was not about that. It was about a lot more. Yeah. And when we started having a different kind of conversation, it changed me and our relationship. And, and she was able to open up to you. Yeah. Where before there was a wall there, right? You, you yes. wanted her to behave a certain way. She wasn't doing that. Yeah. But, but you learned it, it wasn't about. Yeah. I was stuck for a lot of weeks yeah. before we found our way to that conversation. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you, you did. I'm, I'm sure that was a big load off her yeah. heart as well. You mentioned vocab. Mm-hmm. So of course, in the, you talk about this in your, in your talk. Uh, I wonder if we could go, go through Absolutely. that acronym. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, it's, it's the way to get unstuck, you know, to get out of the justification, to start having different kinds of conversations. What's really interesting to me, when people practice this and they tell me about their experiences with it, they say, you know, it didn't feel like a conflict anymore. It just felt like a really good conversation. And it was hard, but, you know, people think so negatively of conflict that they don't even call it conflict anymore when they start dealing with it in a different way. When they do it in a healthy manner, it stops feeling. That's how negative people usually, um, you know, hold on to that association with, with conflict. So vocab is about vulnerability, ownership, the communication process, acceptance, and boundaries. And each of those elements are an important aspect of how we shift the conversation and create the opportunity for change. And it's where all of the beautiful gifts of conflict come from. Hmm. So let's start with vulnerability. Sure. And that's, that's uh, I think, included here related is letting go of that justification. Yes. And letting, letting yourself admit to yourself that yes, the, the fir- other person might be right. Yeah, we start to see 
our justification. And when we practice vocab, we step out of it and we get unstuck from that place. So vulnerability is tough because a lot of people, because they think of conflict as negative and kind of as a fight and a war, they come in really protected. They, they have armor on, defensiveness, justification. We have our weapons of blame and accusations. Vulnerability puts all of that down. It lets people know, here's how I really feel, what I really think what my part is in all of this, what I need and I hope for. And when we put all of that armor down and we make ourselves vulnerable, it encourages the other person to be vulnerable. And that's where we can connect when we start to really see each other. Mm. And it's the connection that can come from that is beautiful. Mm. Both people have to be willing to do that, right? Mm -hmm. If one person refuses, then I guess it stops there. Yeah, and and it's usually the first barrier that people run up against Mm -hmm. when I talk to them about conflict with my students with you know in my consulting is they think well what if I do this and the other person doesn't and yeah they do they get to choose and they may not respond in the way that you want them to but what's the alternative I mean how well has the alternative been working for you Mm. and there's a, a great deal of power in when we take the first step and we create the change we want in ourselves, that it then can encourage other people to meet us there as well. Mm. My vulnerability encourages your vulnerability. Mm. The O is ownership? Yes. You said, let's talk a bit about that. Yeah. A lot of times we don't take much ownership in our conflict, particularly when we're in justification. We don't think we own anything. I only did this because you did that. And we hand our emotions over to the other person and we say we're angry because of them. And all of that turning over our emotions and our behavior to other people puts the control in them. And we don't see our own potential to change and control. You know, and it it's really empowering to take ownership because we get to see exactly how I got here. When I look at that situation with my daughter and the hair pretties, I got there because of the emotions and choices that I made that led me to that point. And when I own that, I can then say, wow, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like where I'm heading. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd like to shift direction. So they're my emotions, my needs. And sometimes I play a part, things that I need to ask forgiveness for, that I need to apologize for. And as well as owning my part, it's about not owning the other person's part. I can only take responsibility for my stuff. Mm. By the way, I'm going to pause right here. I was going, sure. to, t- I was going to tell my roommate and dishes stories. That story, <laughs> you can evaluate this. So it's a similar situation. We all had a bunch of dishes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was the problem. So we had apartment meetings where they told me, you're the problem. Mm. And uh, I, I was the problem. I was the one who was not doing the dishes the least. Um, my solution was, which is pretty typical for me, at least at that time, was I chose one set of everything, one dish, one you know, plate. I put them in my cupboard. I would use that for every meal. I would immediately wash that and then put it back. So essentially, I'm removing myself from the, from the problem, from the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess kind of a way of avoidance, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it seemed like a real good solution to me. Um, I didn't wash their dishes. I selected my dishes and I, so I sort of separated myself out. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you 
you know, your professional evaluation of my <laughs> the way I handled that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm even though I consult and you know I talk with people about their conflicts, um, I, I never see myself as in a position to judge people's conflicts and say, you know, you're the person that was right and you're the person that was wrong. It never seems to be particularly useful to do that. What I'm really interested in is finding out what other people want, what will work for them. So for you, like, what was important about that that whole situation? I think I didn't want to be the focus of apartment meetings, you know. Okay. I, I, I didn't want to be the bad guy. Yeah. So it was very much about your identity and who you were and yeah. your relationship with your roommates. Right. And that can never get solved through dishes. Right. No matter who's doing them or whether or not you're dirtying them, mm-hmm. it'll never get you what you want in terms of relationship and identity. So we often have the wrong conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, isn't that true? Yeah. And, and especially at the, that age, you know, you don't, like, hopefully you learn over time. Yeah. Uh, so the C in vocab, what, mm-hmm. is, what does that stand for? That's the communication process. And I see that as, is really central. And people have often talked about communication as a way to deal with conflict, but it's not the answer. You can communicate and make things worse. It it's very much matters how you do it. So oftentimes when we're in conflict, we're telling stories. My version of the story, your version of the story. They end in a lot of periods and exclamation points. Mm. And what works is to stop telling stories and start asking questions. When I ask, what is this about for you? What is it that you want, right? How are you impacted by my behavior, right? How do we deal with this? How do we move forward? All of those kind of questions help us to see underneath the surface of the iceberg. It helps us to explore the other person's emotions and needs and our own. And after we ask, you know, we have to be really careful about the way we listen I can be a great listener in conflict and I can hear all of the contradictions that people make, (laughs) or I can be a really good listener to find out, you know, when I think I'm being attacked so I can get defensive. But the kind of listening we need to do comes from a place of curiosity. I really want to understand. And I'm amazed at how, how people will tell us what they need and what's important to them if we're really listening. Hmm. By the way, you you uh, I'm curious about your classes that you teach. These mm-hmm. are, you know, these are college students. Yes. Um and you're talking about conflict resolution and and some of them will have come from homes like you did or you know the experiences where it's, conflict is very difficult. Yeah. Uh for them. Uh, what's the reaction do you get? Do you get what what stories do they tell you? I I you know, I'm not surprised by the stories anymore. I I see the same patterns and and things happening, and oftentimes they relate. What I what I hope they respond with is hope. Like I, I come into conflict not because I'm naturally good at it, but because I was terrible at it, and I had to learn a different way. And I was able to do that. And I hope now that I sh- can share things with people that will give them the same hope to see conflict differently, hmm. because I know how much it matters in our lives and in our relationships. Hmm. Marriages uh, can be a fertile ground for conflict, mm-hmm. good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, with your background, how did 
How did that work in the early years of, of your marriage? That was the point that brought me to a willingness to really explore this. Mm. Um, I was about a year into marriage, and as I said, I was a massive conflict avoider. And I was sitting in a communication class as an undergraduate, and I was learning about different styles of how people deal with conflict. Um, some people have a style of really competitive conflict, right? They, they fight for what they want. They're really assertive. Some people are really accommodating. They kind of will give in. They use the word fine a lot. It's fine. No, whatever you want, it's fine. Some people like me were an avoider. Others will compromise. Collaboration is something that I never even had heard of. It's where people really work together to find out what they both can eat. And as I'm sitting there learning that and thinking about it, I recognized I was a massive avoider. And I thought about the importance of my relationship with my spouse. And I knew that if I didn't do something about this, it was going to hurt the health of my relationship. I couldn't keep doing that. So I had to figure out a different way. Mm. And you, I guess because you were in communication studies, that way you jumped in there. It, it's an interesting reaction. You you wanted to, to change personally, but you also wanted to help other people to change here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, later, I kind of found my calling as a teacher. Um, I, I found that not only did I need to do this for myself, but it was something that I wanted to offer to other people as well. Mm. Now the uh, this uh, we'll we'll finish up with vocab with the A and the B, but I I wanted to uh, treat this here. Uh, you you uh, you say conflict holds up a mirror to our deepest mm-hmm. needs and most cherished hopes, and it's the doorway of opportunity for creating the change we want in our lives. You want people to see this as a as a total positive. Yeah, I mean conflict usually is thought of as something broke. There's something wrong. Everything was fine until we had this conflict. I don't see it that way anymore. I see conflict as an indication. Here is a moment where what we have right now isn't enough. It's not what I want. I want more. I want more for myself, of myself, for this relationship. And so it calls us to a higher place. It's not that we have somehow fallen and we need to get back to square one. It's here's what is possible. And I think vocab helps us get there. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the, the last two, though. So what's the A? The A is about acceptance. Um, oftentimes, um, from justification or in negative conflict, I won't accept that there are things that are out of my control. Um, I want to control the other person. I want them to do what I want them to do. The chore will was about trying to control the outcome and get them to do what I wanted. But really, um, everybody gets to choose. And when I come to a place where I accept everybody gets to choose for themselves, I get more of a sense of peace and serenity in my conflict because I'm. it's so frustrating to try and control even my four-year-old daughter to pick up three hair pretties. Like, I was so frustrated because I couldn't do it. Another part of acceptance is when we create change, it's going to bring loss, always. Sometimes it's just the loss of an idea. But... We mourn our losses when something is that was important to us is gone. It hurts. And so when I accept that this change is going to bring some loss and I'm going to have to mourn that, then it opens me up for the change. So I have to let go of what I can't control and embrace and accept 
the loss that's going to come. What if it's high stakes, though? And if what if the person? What if you need that person to, you know, to change? And they and they, they're never going to. Yes, and that is a difficult part of acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. And often brings us to a place of fear with our conflicts. I'm afraid of what will happen. I'm afraid of the change. And even though what is happening right now makes me miserable, it's the devil I know instead of the devil I don't. Mm-hmm. And so people will sometimes stay in perpetual cycles of really difficult conflict because they're afraid of what the change will bring. And I understand that. Um, when it comes to, well, what if you really need a, a change in the relationship, that's that's where boundaries come in. Mm. That's the B. Mm-hmm. The B is for boundaries, and it, it, tells, it tells other people, here's what I'm okay with, here's what I'm not okay with. It sets up a perimeter that allows trust and intimacy to be built. It's a bit of a paradox. It, we often think, you know, I don't want to be rude to people and tell them no or that I'm not okay with this. But by not doing that, we constantly let them violate our expectations and boundaries, and we don't feel close to them. We can't trust them. We can only start to trust when we say, here's what I'm okay with, here's what I'm not okay with. Hmm. Let's take another break when we come back uh, more with Claire Canfield, who's a consultant and USU lecturer. His recent TEDx USU talk is titled The Beauty of Conflict. And uh, he says that uh, conflict is the doorway of opportunity for creating the change we want in our lives uh, if that conflict is handled uh, right. And uh, he, he has this acronym VOCAB, which we've just explained. Um, when we come back, I'm going to ask Claire Canfield, can you apply these principles? Do we think we can apply these principles to, say, the nation? We've, we've come through a, a big, negative, bruising, endless conflict that was also called the uh, the election, presidential mm-hmm. election. I want to see if uh, Claire Canfield uh, thinks we can apply some of these principles uh, to uh, br- on a broader scale. More follows this break. This is Science by the Slice. The common side-blotched lizard, which can survive up to seven years, is found throughout the deserts of the western United States and Mexico. USU ecologist Susanna French is exploring environmental effects on the reptile, which grows up to six inches in length. The lizard is very territorial and has variable lifespans across its range, she says, which enables researchers to track individuals. French is investigating whether environmental changes, including those caused by human disturbances, result in modifications to the lizard's stress responsiveness, reproductive success, and immune function. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Hi, I'm Michael Feinstein. Join me for an hour of Yuletide cheer and music from Song Travels, Home for the Holidays. We'll journey from Hollywood's vintage silver screens to New York City's venerable Birdland Jazz Club and hear seasonal classics and rare recordings from some of my favorite performers. That's Song Travels, Home for the Holidays from NPR Music. Join us Thursday night at 9. And we hope you'll check out the rest of our holiday programming at our website, upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking with a USU lecturer and consultant Claire Canfield. 
Initially inspired by his own struggles with conflict, he is, says he's committed to changing the way people think and feel about conflict. His recent TEDx USU talk is titled The Beauty of Conflict. And uh, the TEDxUSU uh, event uh, for 2016 happened in October on the USU campus. It's uh, put on by the uh, U- uh, USU Office of Research and Graduate Studies, sponsored by USU and by the USU Kane College of the Arts, uh, along with the uh, Office of Research and Graduate Studies. Um, and uh, there are a lot of great talks there, and they're now up on the website tedx.usu.edu. Uh, Claire Canfield... Uh, is a lecturer in the Department of Languages, Philosophy, and Communication Studies at Utah State University. You can join the conversation here. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you Maybe you have an example from your life. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at upraxcess. So I'm curious about whether these principles you think can be expanded uh, to, you know, to larger groups and Let's take the United States of America. We've we've been through what you could call a pretty traumatic two-year, three-year event, endless campaign, uh, which is pretty pretty nasty. And uh, I think a lot of people are worried about polarization, and you know, there's no middle, and we we're not we're talking past each other these days as a nation. Yeah, I think that's a a common concern, and I've heard that a lot recently. And I I do believe that this works. Um, I've watched it work for myself and for other people. And it's difficult to apply and it takes some practice. It doesn't just make your conflicts go away. But I've, I've watched people have conversations where they lead towards understanding. Even if we don't agree, we can find ways to interact civilly with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think the best is for that to happen in the political arena? You know, Trump supporters, Clinton supporters. Um, how do how do we apply these principles? Well, I think you'll you'll probably notice that a, a lot of these conversations are polarized, and it starts to look like dueling monologues. We're not really talking with each other; we're talking at each other. And I think when we apply some of the communication principles, that portion of vocab, we start to shift the conversation. I, I think a lot of times we do not understand because we do not agree we don't necessarily try to understand where the other person is coming from why are they upset why do they feel the way they do and I don't need to agree with it but it is important for me to understand it so when I ask questions and I listen you know it it builds empathy and understanding in me so that I can see why they believe the way they they do, even though I disagree with it, I still see them as a whole person. And, you know, then it requires some vulnerability to share how I feel and the fears that I have as a result um, of what I see happening here. All of those things, again, I, I believe have the potential to connect us and to help us to work through our problems, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess if it wasn't hard, we'd we'd, we'd, we'd have more of it, right? Already. We'd have it figured out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we'd we'd have uh, about three three minutes, uh, four minutes left. Uh, I wonder if you could give us another story or two of of how you how you applied these principles in your life or for people you've worked with or sure talked with. 
Sure. Um, I often have stories about my daughters because we we have so many interactions, and I, I'm often getting it wrong and trying to get it right with them. So I get a lot of practice with them. And my daughter, uh, last summer, she left a, a peach on, on the table. And our table at the time, we didn't really use it so much for eating on as we did for, like, my wife has nice decorations on it and things like that. And so... I, you don't really eat on the table. We've got like a countertop that we eat at. So she had left this peach and it was making a sticky mess. And I cleaned it up after her. And then at dinner time, she tried to go and sit back down uh, at the table again. And I said, you know, I, I don't want you to sit there because you left this peach mess and we want to keep the table clean. So please don't sit at the table. And I left for something. I came back, and there was her dirty dishes sitting on the table. <laughs> In your so face, Dad, right? We ha- yeah, so again, the dishes have created conflict, right? <laughs> so so um, as I was doing the dishes, she came in the room, and I said, you know, I, I asked you not to eat at the table, and you did, and I had to clean up after you, so I'm going to ask you to do something for me. So I'm going to have you finish the dishes. And she said, I don't want to. That's not fair. It's not my turn. Why do I have to do it? And she, she was feeling really justified, and so was I. And and so I was practicing, okay, what do, I, what do I need to do here? And I said, well, that was a choice you made, and I'm I'm not okay with you having done that, and so I'm going to ask you to do this. And I, I left the room, and I was trying to focus and think about, okay, how do I stay responsible? How do I practice this? And then she came limping out onto the deck where I was. And she said, Dad, I, I was trying to do the dishes, and I, I was putting a bowl away, and bam, I hit my elbow on the countertop. And then I tried to put another way, and bam, I hit my other elbow. So she's giving me this story where you know I'm imagining dishes flying through the room, and she wants me to kind of play her hero and take her out of this. Um, but I, I, I tried to just ask her, well, are you okay? You know, how are you dealing with that? And, and she doubled down. She came out later with another story near tears in her eyes. And she doubled down again and came out and told me how, you know, if I didn't do the dishes, then she was going to tell mom how I was being a big idiot. And that's why they weren't done. And she kept trying to draw me in, um, to kind of the drama and, you know, it was really hard to just continue to stay in a responsible place and maintain boundaries and accept that she was going to get to choose how she was going to respond to this. But two and a half hours later, we ended up having a conversation, a very short one. But she said, you know, I just really didn't want to do dishes. Mm. And I said, I understand that. Mm. But I'd like to have us figure out a way to talk about those things without um, trying to fight about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you have a good relationship with your with your daughter, Sue. And, and I'm working applying, on it. Applying I'm these working principles. on it. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine in your household, you do that. This being a mantra, you know, you you, you say vocab, vocab. Let's <laughs> let's let's go to vocab, right? My daughters don't want to listen to that stuff to that. right now. <laughs> I'm their dad. Maybe at some point this yeah. stuff will register, but yeah. uh, it's a mantra in my own head. I may not always know how to do it, but I'm really aware now in my conflicts what doesn't work. And I know what does, and I can keep practicing it. Right. 
Um, there you can is is a place to go to find out uh, more. Do you I don't know anything you'd like to any place you'd like to direct people? Well, I'd love to pe- people to uh, check out the talk and hopefully it'll have some useful information for them. Um, I'm working on a book right now, but it's not done and. So for now, um, they can access that, and hopefully it gives them a little bit some, uh, something to think about and, and change in their own conflicts. All right. Um, you can check out Claire Canfield's uh, TEDxUSU talk uh, at the website tedx.usu.edu. Many other uh, great talks there as well. Claire Canfield is a consultant and a USU lecturer. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Tomorrow, we'll uh, talk with another TEDxUSU presenter, uh, Deborah Jensen, uh, studies communication and social justice groups. Uh, Here's part of the synopsis for her talk, which, by the way, is the comic universe belongs to everyone. She says, superhero stories have been called the myths of our day, helping us understand who we are and what unites us. Um, Since Superman first leapt to tall buildings with a single bound, the vast majority of characters have been white, straight men. And uh, she is pushing back on that. Her uh, talk is The Comic Universe Belongs to Everyone. Deborah Jensen uh, will be our guest tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ronnie Adams, the Utah chapter leader for the Stop Abuse Campaign, inviting you to learn more about Utah projects and people that empower during Utah Public Radio's original series, Objectified, More Than a Body. Tuesday afternoons at 4.30 during All Things Considered and Wednesday mornings at 7.41 during Morning Edition. Program listings and times found at upr.org. Heard only on Utah Public Radio. We have freedom of choice with respect to everything. 200 varieties of cereal. 18 kinds of lettuce. Razors. Nikes. Pumas. iPods. Reeboks. College. How many speeds on your bike do you really need? People don't know what to do. Hamburger or hot dog? I don't know. And it's just overwhelming. (laughs) Overwhelming. Choice. And decision making. When do we choose? How do we choose? Where do we choose? The limits of choose. The limits of choice. (laughs) (laughs) On Radio Lab. Join us tomorrow morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan. Also heard at upr.org.